Let's talk rookies, baby. We're going to talk about Spencer Torgelson and Riley Green, the two prized rookies that the Tigers offense is kind of built around, or at least it was. The plan was to build around them going forward. We're going to talk about the seasons they had this year and their futures with the team today on Locked on Tigers. You are Locked on Tigers, your daily Detroit Tigers podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Locked On Tigers. I'm, of course, your host, Scott Bentley. Today is Thursday, October 27th, 2022. Thank you for making Locked On Tigers your first listen every single day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including. YouTube. Okay, so today we are going to discuss Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson. Those are going to be our player breakdowns. I could have done them individually, but one, World Series right around the corner. We still, we're still we trying to get through everybody on the 40-man. And two, I think it's important to have them, I mean more importantly, talk about them in the same breath and, and talk about them in somewhat of the same light and not that they're the same player or that you should have the same expectations for either of them. And we'll get into that as the show goes on. But I mean, these are, these are the two prominent rookies. These were the two bats that everybody looked at and said, this is who we're building the offense around. This is the future of the Detroit Tigers. It's Riley Green and Spencer Torgelson in the top or the heart of the lineup. And that's what the future of, the the Tigers is going to be so I I think it's a conversation that's very easy to have just lumping them in together and into the same group and talking about them at the same time because of expectations and whatnot of where they will remain and where they kind of stand going forward so we're going to start with Spencer Torkelson and we'll end on Riley Green so Torque it's no surprise to anybody it's no secret I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. He really struggled in his first stint in the major leagues. Uh, his numbers in his rookie year were a 203 batting average, a 285 on base percentage, and a 319 slug. That is a 604 OPS, which is a 34, sorry, a 76 WRC plus. I was like, that seems even a little low. <laughs> he had 34 weighted runs created total. His weighted runs created plus was a 76, which puts him 24% worse than league average in weighted runs created plus. Not great, right? Again, not telling you anything you don't already know. Now, when it comes to defense, he got a lot of credit defensively for being able to scoop balls really well, which is very much true. His range over at first base isn't anything elite or like mind-boggling or spectacular, but at the end of the day, it is first base, and if you can scoop balls well, you're going to have value to this team. So the defensive numbers, even though they're slightly negative, I don't know. I don't really take too much stock into defensive metrics of first base. I think that's more of, I'm not really sure there is a great metric for that yet. So we're just going to look at and go, he objectively saved Javi Baez at, at least a lot of, uh, a lot more errors than 
he already had. He was really good at scooping balls in the dirt and handling low balls to first base. He's pretty athletic for a first baseman. So we'll, we'll give him a, a solid, you know, did fine defensively in your first stint in the majors at first base. And look, I don't want to say that's where like the good conversation ends because there is some good to take out of this. There, there are underlying things that you look at and you go, okay, there is still stuff to be excited about. There is still stuff here. Okay. First and foremost, the walk percentage. Now we also had a conversation had a, a, a plethora, a plenty of conversations this season about how Torkelson was almost too passive right? Like he was drawing walks. He was in the 63rd percentile in walk percentage and the 75th in chase rate did not go uh, fishing very often, did not go and, and chase pitches out of the zone very often. Also 63rd percentile in sprint speed for a first baseman is kind of fun. But anyway, we, we often saw him draw walks and whatnot. And that's one thing, thing that never really wavered. Like, even when he was at his lowest point offensively and was struggling really, really badly, he at least always had the walks and, and was always working counts and, and getting, you know, three, four, five pitch at bats. The problem was he would get to a point where, yes, you know, it, it's, a, it's a four or five pitch at bat, but it still wasn't very competitive because the three pitches that – you got called strikes on were like fastballs down the middle or you'd foul one off and then just stare at the next two and not even swing at them. And that's kind of the era that he had this season where he was almost too passive and just like, it almost looked like he was trying to walk that that is, is something that I don't say it needs to be corrected, but you have to take advantage of the pitches that are hittable. I know it's, I know that's a crazy concept. I know I'm kind of captain obviousing this, but, that's the name of the game is you <laughs> this is like so blatantly obvious I, I don't want to I don't want to to sound like I'm talking down to anyone but like you you don't swing at the bad pitches and you do damage on the good ones like that's that's how it works and when he got to a point where it, it was almost just get me up there just so that I can draw a walk and if there was a ball a hanging slider down the middle or a fastball down the pipe he was doing nothing with it. He was fouling it off or even just staring at it. A lot of fouled off pitches this year as well. Just never got the timing down. And and the thing is, his hard hit percentage was 61st percentile. It was still in the upper 40% in the game of baseball. Average exit velocity, 78th percentile. His average exit velo on the year was over 90 miles an hour. So when he was hitting the ball, he was hitting it very hard. <laughs> His barrel percentage was even in the 56th percentile. He had decent launch angles uh, on the balls that he was hitting. He had the ability to drive the baseball when he was hitting the baseball. The problem was he just wasn't hitting the baseball. 20th percentile in expected batting average, 37th in expected slugging percentage, and 27th in K percentage. Uh, 43rd in whiff percentage. Just, I, I mean, just straight up could not hit pitches in the strike zone. We had this uh, conversation kind of with Jonathan Scope and a little with Jamer Candelario too, I guess. But we we really highlighted it with Scope, the amount of runs 
or, or valued runs that you have e- either in the positive or in the negative based on where pitches are located. And Jonathan Scope, we talked about, you know, pitches over the heart of, pl- heart of the plate for whatever reason he just couldn't hit. That was Spencer Torkelson to a T. The waste pitches that were way out of the strike zone and super uncompetitive, plus eight, really solid run value on the year. Did not chase him. We already talked about the chase rate. It was really solid. The chase pitches that are somewhat close but still pretty sizably out of the zone, plus 13, had a really good eye on those, laid off all of them. Shadow pitches, minus 27. Those are the fringe pitches that are either just in the strike zone or just out of the strike zone and everything in between. Okay? Minus 27. Probably because he was taking all of them. Again, just way too passive for a majority of the year. And then the pitches that were over the heart of the plate, that were very hittable, minus 11. Just never really figured it out this season. Um, But again, the underlying numbers still support him to turn into a pretty darn good hitter. When he's hitting the ball, he's hitting it hard. He draws walks. He has a really good eye. He's not chasing pitches. Like when I have this conversation with you, it sounds like, oh, this sounds like a pretty professional hitter, doesn't it? The problem is the frequency in which he was hitting the ball hard or the frequency in which he was even putting the bat on the ball and putting it in a fair territory was very few and far between. We'll talk more about Torque right after I tell y'all about our friends over at Roan. Look, the dress shirt was due for a radical reinvention, and Roan stepped up to the challenge. Roan's commuter shirt is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible shirt known to man, and here's why. It has comfortable four-way stretch fabric that provides breathability and flexibility that leaves you free to enjoy what life throws your way from your commute to work all the way to your 18 holes of golf after work. It's time to feel confident with a wrinkle-free t-shirt without the hassle. With Roan's wrinkle release technology, wrinkles disappear as you stretch and wear this shirt. It's that easy. With gold fusion anti-odor technology, you'll be smelling fresh and cleaning all day long. And on top of that, Roan is 100% machine washable, so you can ditch the dry cleaner all together. They're the best. I love mine. They, they truly are my favorite dress shirt, but I wear them for a plethora of occasions. They're awesome. Okay. So get yours today. The commuter shirt can get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com slash locked on. Use promo code locked on to save 20% off of your entire order. That's 20% off of your entire order when you head to rhone.com slash locked on and use code locked on. It's time to find your corner office comfort. What is up, everybody? Welcome back here. Segment two of Locked on Tigers. Uh, thank you for making us your first listen every day. For your next listen, check out the Locked on Sports Today podcast from the games that matter the most from the games that matter to the most <laughs> from the games that matter to the biggest stories in sports. Go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts insights. Only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today available on the app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Jeez, that was brutal. I apologize to the Locked On Today podcast. That was tough. I really struggled getting through that one for whatever reason. Okay, 
We're talking Spencer Torkelson. Yeah. So, again, I, I don't want this to – like, he had an objectively brutal season. But he still did some things that you can look at and point at and be like, hey, if he figures it out – like, if he does exactly these numbers, if he does exactly these underlying numbers, but instead of barely batting 200, you know, puts the bat on the ball at a much higher clip, we're, we're talking about a completely different season. It's just he, he was taking so many of the borderline pitches and swinging through or fouling off so many of the pitches over the heart of the plate. It, it, it really, uh, really a frustrating year, to say the least. Um, when talking about the future of Spencer Torgelson, it is obviously not a conversation about whether he will be on the 40-man roster next season. That is that is all but a guarantee. There, there is nothing that can really happen to change the fact that he is going to be on the roster next season. Uh, the conversation lies in what to do at first base and whether you roll into string training with Spencer Jorgelson as your everyday starting first baseman like they did this year or whether they maybe take a little bit of an insurance policy on someone else like they didn't do last year so they don't get burned twice by the same thing. That's a conversation we'll have in the end. Um, only other thing really, the, the biggest reason for his struggles at the plate in my mind, we talked about the passiveness at times, but you have to be able to hit four-seam fastballs. You have to. And this team as a whole, did not. I don't know if it was a bug going around. I have no clue. But this team could not, for for the life of them, could not hit four-seam fastballs. And Spencer Torkelson, unfortunately, like, none of the pitches he faced was he had, like, a positive run value against. None of the pitches that, that were, that he was seeing, none of the types of pitches was Spencer Torkelson really good at hitting. He was a positive in one, and it was the sinker. He had a 356 batting average and a 559 slug against the sinker, which he saw 208 times. That's crushing. That's great. Fantastic. Great job. Lowest whiff rate of any pitch against, lowest K rate of any pitch against. Whatever it was about the sinker, he was crushing the heck out of that pitch. Okay. The problem is he was pretty comfortably negative with literally every other pitch that he saw this season. And the worst of all of them was the four-seam fastball, and it's not even close. But if you're judging by run value, by pitch type, he had a negative four against the changeup. That's the second worst. Against the four-seam, he was a negative eight, and it's the pitch that he obviously saw the most. Everybody's going to see the more four-seams than anything else. And that's why you need to be able to hit them. His, his stats against the four-seam fastball – a 175 batting average, a 292 slugging percentage. A whiff rate of just under 20%, a K rate of just over 20%. It just, and those numbers aren't horrific, but it just, you have to hit fastballs. They're setup pitches, they're mistake pitches. You have to, you have to take advantage and hit four seam mistake pitches. And there's no way that in, he saw 557 of them and every single one was painted or like pinpoint exactly to where the pitcher wanted them to be. 
So that's his next step. Well, he has a lot of steps, but if if he can just hit mistake pitches, I'll be happy. I'm not asking for him to overnight turn into a, an all-star caliber hitter that that's, you know, spitting on everything and everything in the zone. He's making them pay for it. If he can just the, the next only next step I want from him, and we'll get to Riley Green in a second here. The only thing I want to see out of him next is just take advantage of mistakes. If there was a ball, if you were to, to break the strike zone down into nine squares, okay, three, three, three. All I want to see out of him, and all I really wanted to see out of him in the second half of this season was just the ability to take advantage of balls that are in the middle square, the very middle, right down Broadway. That That's all. All I want to see next. And then once he masters that and can do that, great. That's a step forward. Now we can start talking about what to do on pitches that are on the black and what how to take advantage of certain types of pitches and whatnot. But he he you you need to be able to take advantage of mistake pitches. That's what good hitters do. Great hitters can hit any pitch and make you pay anywhere. Good hitters really are just taking advantage of bad pitches. That's how minuscule the difference is between the two. Okay, we spent way too long on this. Let's get to Riley Green. All right, Riley Green had a really solid season. And I know we talk about the the slugging percentage and whatnot and some of his inability to drive the baseball. And that certainly is, is a problem, not a problem, but something that he has to work on, a developmental thing that he has to work on. But he logged an incredible rookie season. Just, I mean, listen to some of these, these numbers. Uh, max exit velocity, 82nd percentile, top 20 in baseball. Hard hit percentage, 77th percentile. Average exit velocity, 61st. Uh, walk percentage, 55th. Barrel percentage, 60th percentile. Outfielder jump, 82nd. Outs above average, 76th percentile. Arm strength, 67th percentile. Sprint speed, 60th percentile. Um, I already said walk, 55th, yeah. Really, the only two things you can point to as, you know, for a 22-year-old rookie, the only two things you really point at and go like, hey, we need to take a step in the right direction here, is the K percentage. He struck out a lot, 10th percentile in K percentage struck out in, you know, top 10% in K's in all of baseball. So certain K rate, I should say, in all of baseball. So definitely something to work on there. And then it was just getting more extra base hits. And he was hitting the ball hard. It's just his launch angle was a little wacky at times. Uh, there, there was one point, I want to say it was in August, there was one point where uh, for a few weeks straight, he was just consistently driving the ball into the dirt. It was just ground, and it was all ground balls to second base. And he would hit the ball pretty hard. You know, he would have decent exit velocity numbers. He'd be crushing the baseball, but all of them were ground balls to second base. So that's certainly something that he's going to to have to adjust to. But if he can just lift the ball even a little bit more, I, I mean, this dude's going to explode. Like, he he's going to turn into a bona fide star. He's one of the best rookies, I, I think, in my lifetime, like it's it's up there with the likes of for Tigers rookies. He's up there with the likes of like Curtis Granderson, Justin Verlander. Like he he 
He and and he might by the end of it be one of the best prospects the Tigers have ever had. Like that that's the talent that we're talking about and I will continue to stand by that. And you could just see it this season. And again, I, I know that the numbers weren't anything that, that you look at and you go, oh my goodness, this is, you know, some generational rookie or whatever, but an 8.6 walk percentage, 253 average, 322 OBP, 362 slug. The slugging percentage you want it to see get higher, absolutely. Uh, he was a one-win player in 93 games, got called up in what, July, beginning of July, and, and record was a one-win player. The slugging percentage goes up, and this guy is is going to absolutely just take off in this league. And I think that that's really just a few small adjustments. That's not anything like chronically he's doing wrong. We we talked about the hard hit numbers and everything. He's he, he's hitting the baseball hard. He's drawing walks. He's having good at bats. Just a minor adjustment to get a little more lift on the ball. And this dude's going to absolutely explode. And I can't wait. Can't wait for it to happen in an old English D. Uh, We're going to keep talking about Riley Green. And then we will talk about the just both of them and and where they stand going forward. And and kind of their their routes to get here. Their paths to get to where they are currently in the Tigers organization. We'll do that right after this. What is up, everybody? Third and final segment, Locked On Tigers. I kind of did my intro there at the end. I don't know why I did that, but uh, welcome back. Like I said, third and final segment of Locked On Tigers. Thank you all for tuning in, as always. I appreciate each and every one of y'all. So, talking Riley Green. Um, I think that the only other thing I really want to talk about is defensively for Riley Green. He has certainly proved everybody wrong, and... He has put together a very impressive resume of a defensive center fielder. And it's awesome. It's awesome. This is a dude that people on draft night were saying, oh, he's going to be a below average corner outfielder. And now he is a plus center fielder. Now, conversation that I've had and some people don't like me talking about, but I've brought it up a few times already this offseason. I think it's not ridiculous to look at what Riley Green did in center field. He was a plus two DRS, plus two OAA. He, he, like he, he's he's a good defender. He's a he's a really good defender. Okay, but I don't think it's completely out of the question to look at the market for good defensive center fielders, whether it's trade or free agency or whatnot. And just think about how awesome it would be if the Detroit Tigers had that defense from Riley Green in like left and then an even better defensive center fielder in center and then whatever, Austin Meadows, Kerry Carpenter, whoever's going to play right. And that's going to be your kind of letdown defensively, whether it's either of those guys. But I, I, I think you can make your outfield defense really solid like infinitely better if instead of taking a shot at a good defensive left fielder or corner outfielder and adding him to Riley Green, if you moved Riley to a corner, 
he still gets all of his value there. He's still going to be super valuable, make great plays, be a huge plus defender. He might even be even more of a plus defender in the corners than he is in center. And then you get like a, you know, borderline gold glove, like elite caliber defensive center fielder. I think that is a huge recipe for success. I am a really big fan of that layout. And I'm, it's not a demand. It's not something that I look at and I go, this needs to happen for the Tigers to be successful in the future. But I think that that opens a whole world of possibilities, like a, a whole new world of of flexibility within the outfield. You know, Riley able to play like all three outfield positions at a plus level would be a, a huge thing when it comes to value on the team. Um, just you're you're raising the bar without missing out on any of Green's value. And I, I, I just think that that is really something that they should seriously consider at least. Um, and again, that doesn't mean that Riley Green's a bad defender. That doesn't mean that I want him like kick him out of center field. I need somebody better. Like, no, that's not what I'm saying. And, and if we roll into camp next year and he's the everyday center fielder, I'm so down. I'm a happy camper. Again, that's a plus defender in Comerica Park center field. I'm happy about it. I'm just saying long-term, like imagine the possibilities. Imagine the possibilities of that defensively in the in, in a big outfield like Comerica. I think that that's something that they should heavily consider. So that's really it, and and that's why I felt like I could I could fit them both into the same into the same show as well. Is that I, I think a lot of people are kind of on the same page when it comes to what we saw out of Torkin Green. Like again, there's some underlying numbers that I, that I wanted to discuss, but. For the most part, you know, we all watched it. We all know what's happening. Now, I, I think the future with them is where the really subjective and fascinating conversation comes up. I, I want to start by saying Spencer Torkelson, I think, is going to be a really solid hitter at the major league level. I think he's going to be a middle-of-the-lineup bat for this team for a long time. I I don't think... My expectations have never been ever, even on on draft night, really. Maybe like for a night, caught up in the moment of the excitement. But my expectations drafting Torque were never, this dude's going to be a 7, 8, 9, 10 win player a season. And he's going to have like an 1,000 OPS. Like I, I think people just got really caught up in the – you know, he he hit a lot of home runs. He broke a Barry Bonds record. We drafted him 1-1. Like, this dude should rake. And, like, he will. He's going to hit really well. But I think a much more realistic, I don't know, not, like, final destination or, like, expectation, but I think a much more realistic uh, player comp to Torkelson is if he ends up being like your four hitter going forward and four hitter today doesn't mean what it did even like seven, eight years ago. Uh, a lot of people have realized that you want your best hitters to get the most at bats. That's why Mike Trout and Shohei Otani and Aaron judge bat one and two in, in their lineups. Right. So you see a lot of teams doing kind of best hitter is, is kind of the two hitter or three hitter at worst. So I think Torkelson having like a mid to high 800s OPS and getting 25 to 33 home runs a year, 
having a good walk rate, being a, a, a guy who's a power threat in the middle of the lineup, I think that's probably where he's going to end up long-term. Now, that it's not to say that he still doesn't have the ceiling and capability to be better than that. He has the raw talent. He does. But I, I think, and this is kind of, again, always been kind of where my mindset has been with Torkelson. I think a really solid first baseman, right? Solid defensive first baseman that has, you know, anywhere from an 850 to an 880, 890 OPS. That's like, uh, you know, m- maybe like you're just missing out on being the all-star for like first baseman all-star conversation. And you'll get it some years and you won't get it some years and whatnot. You're one of the better hitters in the game of baseball. But you're not some overwhelming, overpowering superstar that has like an 1,000 OPS. That's kind of where I, I stand on torque and, and what I expect him to do going forward. Now, Riley Green, I, I think, could win MVPs. Like, I, I, I stand by the fact that I think Riley Green is one of the most talented prospects this organization has ever had. And I think that he is going to be unbelievable. And I also want to make it clear, there's nothing wrong with Torkelson ending up like that. If you look at the history of number one overall picks in the game of baseball, it's not great. It, it's not what you would expect. It's it's really not some overwhelming, like, oh, all these dudes are superstars. Like, no. In baseball, busts happen more in baseball than any other sport, and it's not even close. It is not even close, okay? It's so hard to develop baseball talent that when you have the number one overall pick, you are more so taking the highest floor than the highest ceiling. Now, sometimes you get players that have, hey, this dude is generational. He has the highest floor and the highest ceiling in this draft right? Certainly. But Torkelson was not some slam dunk, can't miss, generational, oh, he has to go 1-1. There were conversations about whether he was going to go 1-1 all the way right up until right before draft day. And I like the pick. I love Torque. I am excited for what he's going to be going forward. And Lord knows, an 875 OPS on this team would have looked like Barry Bonds, okay? Like, that's still, uh, 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 there's some negative connotation out there about, like, when people say that take, and they're like, oh, Torque will probably be like a a fringe all-star first baseman year in and year out. People are like, oh, we wasted a 1-1 pick on a a guy who's only going to have an 870 OPS. (laughs) Did you see the offense this year? Do you see good teams even? There are dudes that that have about that OPS playing in the World Series that bat like four or five in respective lineups. I remember somebody made a, a convo, a comparison like a year ago, and they're like, what if Spencer Torkelson turns into Reese Hoskins? And everybody lost their minds. And we're like, that that can't happen. That's a that's a waste of a pick. He went one overall. I would I demand more than than Reese Hoskins. Like, okay, I mean, okay, he had a 780 OPS this year. His career average OPS is 846. You're telling me that you would be beyond disappointed if your first baseman year in and year out didn't have about an 850 OPS. I don't know, man. 
I, there, there's immense value for that. And like I said, you're, you're taking the highest floor and Torkelson probably, I, I still venture to argue probably has the highest floor in that draft class. Like he's going to be an everyday first baseman. It's just a matter of the guaranteeing a major league talent on draft night is, is so rare. It's just a matter of how high of a ce- how high he is going to reach and how close of it to his ceiling he's going to get. That's always a tough conversation to have with a lot of people because people get super mad and upset and go like, "Oh, he was the one one pick. How can you you know justify it? Whatever." And that's ridiculous. And oh, he should you know be winning MVPs. He was taking one one, and that's just like not how baseball works, and it's not how it's ever worked. Again, look up, look it up yourself. Look at the history of number one overall picks. In the MLB, it's not. It's not like that. It's really not. Never has been. Okay, I think that's it. Uh, Grade. They're both going to be on the team next year. Really excited about both of them. Again and again. I don't want to make this sound like Torkelson can't still be really good because he can't. And again, eight seventy OPS is really good. This is all just me repeating myself at this point, but like he could even be better, I guess is my point, than that bar that I've kind of set for him. He absolutely could. Um, I'm just trying to be, I don't know, maybe a little more realistic about expectations because I, I think a lot of people, again, when comparing Torque and Green, compare them in the sense that like, oh, they're going to be like just as good. And like, no, I, like Green is is unbelievable. And Torque's going to be a really solid piece and is going to be really important. But Riley Green is is like him, you know? All right. Uh, they're both going to be on the team. Uh, percentage, Riley Green will give a 95. I don't think anyone on this team's in 100, but like Riley Green's going to be here next year. So we're going to give him a 95. We'll give Torque like a 93 for being on the 40, man. Um, again, the conversation with Torque a lot more is a conversation of what to do. And it's not, this is just like a quick thing at the end. It's not like a super in-depth, in-depth convo. It's like, do you repeat last year or do you risk it? It's pretty much what it comes down to. Do you look and go, okay, well, we're not going to have that happen again. We're not going to go in just blindly assuming that Torque is going to be really good in 2023. And we're going to get somebody that can play first base and that can hit. And I don't know, I think what I would prefer, I think my dream scenario is you get somebody that is a plus at first and like third or first and corner outfield, like somebody that, that if Torgelson is good and is hitting and is having a really solid season that you can hand the keys off to him and you you didn't just waste like a free agent signing. Like that person that was playing first base, whoever it is can go play somewhere else and be effective and have value and still play like borderline every day. That's my dream scenario, but I don't know how realistic or if that person even exists. So I, I, it's a risk. I mean, you, you either do what you did last year and you go, all right, Torx, our guy, we're going to risk it. We're going to see what happens if he does well. Congrats. No, no worries. If he doesn't do well, you're in the same boat as last year where you're looking around going, okay, Harold Castro might have to play first base every day and bat third. I don't think we want the latter to happen again. So I expect them to do something at first base. It's just a matter of what magnitude. Do you just get like a one-year deal like CJ Cronesque signing, right? Where you, you just are like, all right, we're just going to take, we're just going to have a first baseman. This dude's going to play first base this year. 
Torkel marinate for another year in the minors. If he does really well in AAA, then we can call him up and get him, you know, some more playing time in the second half of the season. Uh, do do what I said and get someone that's versatile and can play multiple positions, including first base, uh, to kind of, you know, maybe as like a security blanket, some insurance. I don't know. Riley Green will will be an everyday starter. Center field or left field. Can promise you that. The 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 torque conversations are are the really fascinating ones. Let me know what y'all think. Uh appreciate all y'all. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think that's all I got. Thanks for making Lockdown Tigers your first listen every day. For your next listen, check out the Lockdown Sports Today podcast. The biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. It's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Did that one way better than the last one. Um, again, Torkelson will be good. He will be a prominent bat in the middle of the lineup for this team. I still believe that. Um, yeah. I'm still very excited about the future of Spencer Torgelson. And who isn't excited about the future of Riley Green? Let's see what we got. This offseason is going to be a fun one. And that's another first base is another kind of question mark, another wrinkle in that. So we will see what happens. Uh, like I said, appreciate and love all of y'all dearly. Peace and love going to Therapy's Dope. And I'll catch y'all tomorrow, baby. Go Tigers.